Congratulations. Welcome back. We're going to talk about books 19, 20, possibly even 21 today in Homer's Odyssey. Last time we got to see the very famous conversation between who and whom. Yes. Who did we see the famous conversation between last time we spoke? Yes. Odysseus and Penelope. Odysseus and Penelope, but not quite Odysseus. We know it's Odysseus, but what does he identify his name as? Yes? No? Yes? Iathon or Ithon? Ithon, yes. Ithon is the name that he gives to himself. All right, some slightly harder questions that I don't know that everybody knows yet. Who does he say that his father was? Great king of Crete. Yes? King Minos. King Minos, son of Zeus, archetypal king. Yes, and who is it that he said was his brother who had left the island of Crete before he had an... So he, as Ithon, brother of this man, had to entertain Odysseus, even though obviously we know he is Odysseus. Yes. Idomeneus. Idomeneus. And then he said that he had some very particular clothes on, because it's Penelope. She's no slouch. She asks him some good questions. She says, who were you with? What or who was Odysseus with, and what was he wearing? What color mantle did he have on? Cloak. Yes. Purple. Very regal. And then he had a what substance pin holding it together. Yes. Golden, and it's a very strange pin, very Odyssean pin. Well, what did that pin feature? Which two creatures, and what was the relationship between them? Yes? It was a hound holding down a fawn. A hound holding down a fawn. And I had sort of symbolically understood that in what way? How did I understand that? Or what did I understand that to mean? What did we understand that to mean? A hound, if it's chasing down, if, it's, if it is hunting, it is chasing a creature. If this hound is holding down a fawn, it is a what sort of hound? Successful or unsuccessful? Successful. Odysseus. Is he the sort of man who, when he chases something, gets it? Yes, of course. Of all the people that he has, of all the of his crewmates, who is the only one that makes it to his home? Yes? So what is he very good at doing? Mm, yes? Mm, not quite what I'm looking for here. No. Accomplishing his goals, getting what he wants, aiming true, and getting and sticking with it. He aims correctly, and he has the perseverance and character and discipline necessary to get what he wants. Very, very good. Very, very good. Um, something else. Who can remember the name of the herald that Ithon says was with him? That we remember from the Iliad, way back when. Yes? Euripides, Euripides, and then when Penelope hears all this information about Odysseus, what does she do? It's something that she often does in the Odyssey, sadly enough, yes? She cries. She starts to cry. And I had said that this is not only a difficult moment for her, but also a moment for Odysseus. Why is this a difficult moment for Odysseus, who is in disguise in front of his wife, who is experiencing pain at this particular moment, yes? Yes. Very good, because obviously he wants to comfort her. He wants to reach out to her. This is very painful for him, but he has to keep that in check. There's also another emotion that she makes him feel. She says that for three years she kept the suitors at bay, but now they've figured out because of her serving maids that her trick of the web, the shroud, weaving it at day during the day, unweaving it at night, has, um, has finished. She can no longer keep the suitors at bay. She has to marry one of them very soon, possibly even tomorrow. What sort of feelings did we say that would cause in Odysseus, yes? Jealousy. Tremendous jealousy, and yet he has to do what with those emotions? Keep them in, keep them close to the chest. So he's fighting an emotional battle over and over and over and over. 
we're all young people here. How easy is it to restrain your emotions and not act on them? Very, very hard. It's one of the hardest things that you have to learn to do. And I'll, I'll be frank with you. It is one of the hardest things you have to learn to do because society and relationships are extremely fragile. Very easy to break. Very hard to what? To mend. Very good. Very good, very good, very good. All right. And then Odysseus, at the end of all this, apparently he smells and doesn't look very good. Penelope looks great right now. She says, you should have a bath. And he says, mm, I've met that. What's the name of that one serving maid who's been so upsetting towards him? She has a pretty upsetting brother as well. Mm, mm, it's a good start, yes. Melantho. And he's like, I don't want one of them touching me and making fun of me. You have any old ladies? And uh, Penelope says, yes, yes. And who is it that Odysseus probably wants to be bathed by here? Yes? Eurycleia. Why would he want to be bathed by Eurycleia? Yes? That was his and Telemachus' nurse, essentially his surrogate mother. Eurycleia feels how towards Odysseus and Telemachus because she raised both of them. She loves them. And so he might trust her if he trusts anybody. But does he trust anybody yet without testing them? No, 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 no. So very good, very good, very good. Okay, let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. Let's get to this bath. All right. Oh, yeah, and something funny, too. When Euryclea first sees Ithon the beggar, what comment does she make to him about how he looks? Yes? It's like, oh, you make me cry. You make me so sad because I imagine Odysseus would be just as old as you right now and look just as terrible. And, you know, you just look just like him. And who recalls the very, very funny, very, very funny thing that Odysseus said in response to this? Yes? I get that a lot. That's what everybody says, that I look just like Odysseus. And we're all sitting here in the know, understanding through this dramatic irony that that's a very funny moment. You know, that'd be like you coming up to Mr. Schmidt in 10 years and being like, you look just like Mr. Schmidt. I'd say, oh yeah, people tell me that all the time. People that, and you'd be like, what's your name? And I'd be like, uh, Mr. Schmidt. And I'd, I'd probably tell you, um, unless we were at war, I suppose, and you were on the other side, in any case. Let's go, let's go. All right, so as Odysseus is going to be bathed. And we know that he's often getting bathed in the interesting ways. We know that Helen bathed him when he was in disguise. In Troy, we know that uh, he was bathed in front, not in front of Nausicaa, but near Nausicaa on Scoria. And well, the thing about being bathed is you're, you're very what in that moment? You don't have weapons. You don't have clothes. Yes. Vulnerable. You're extremely vulnerable. And there are things about you that can be seen that are not generally seen. In fact, that's one of the big things in the Old Testament, the first story about man and woman, when they become conscious, is they first realize, does anybody know what they first realize? They understand that they're what? Naked. Naked. And they put leaves on their genitalia. Sort of like how Odysseus covers himself up before he goes to see Nausicaa. But when you are in a bath, you are totally vulnerable. In fact, what are the things that can be left on your body after an injury that can reveal you as a unique individual? Yes? Scars. Scars. And if any of you ever read... Harry Potter, I believe Dumbledore says that he has a scar above his knee that's an accurate map of the London Underground, which is very interesting because, I mean, what would make that scar? That's a really weird scar. In any case, Odysseus has a major scar above his knee, a very recognizable scar, especially to somebody who knows him very well, like a nurse of his. And here's a great picture from a vase. Who's this looking all sad? Penelope. Penelope. 
Who's this looking all like, oh my goodness, I just figured out who you are? You're our clan. Who's this looking like an old, terrible looking man? Very good. All right, here we go. Flashback. If we get a flashback here. So Odysseus tries to hide his scar from Yorkley. He will fail. And so we get a flashback to when he was first born. And apparently Anticlea, his mother, had a really nasty father named Autolycus. Autolycus means wolf self, by the way. And something we know about Autolycus is that he was the son of Hermes. Hermes is the god of travelers. But what is the, uh, but I said that, in fact, a more sophisticated way of understanding Hermes is Hermes is the god of transmitting one thing from one place to another, like how language transmits what from one person to another. Knowledge, information, or thought, right? But what is the act by which you, <laughs> you, you translate or transmit one thing that belongs to somebody to somebody else illegally? Yes? Stealing. And so Autolycus, son of Hermes, and the very first story ever told about Hermes, the very first thing he ever did after killing a tortoise is that he stole Apollo's cattle from him. And how do we know that Apollo feels about his cattle? Very strongly, so strongly that he would hide the sun in the underworld. If men were to be able to eat it, he cares about those cattle. And so Hermes is a thief, and a very good thief, too, and a very sneaky thief, too. Remember, that's how he kills Argos. And so Autolycus, his son, is obviously going to be a very talented what? Thief and also liar, because if you're going to be a good thief, you're going to have to know how to lie, because what are you not going to be telling the truth about ever? The things that you have stolen. Right. Good. So Autolycus is apparently there at the birth of Odysseus, and Euryclea hands him the baby, and apparently this is an honor that is bequeathed to him. You may name the baby. And he says, name him Odysseus. There's a Greek verb. I think it is odusai, which means to be hateful or to be despised. And so the idea that many scholars seem to have about this is that Odysseus's name means that he will be despised or hateful to his friends or to his enemies. To his enemies, of course. Of course, sort of like how a thief is hateful to those who he steals from. And so, yes, there we go. Odysseus equals distaste, distasteful or hateful. When he grows, I will give him his due autolycus, says. He says, okay, I have many riches offer him because obviously I'm a very good thief so I have a lot of things that didn't normally belong to me but they will belong to Odysseus when he gets older he needs to come see me and my sons and I will give him his due which is very interesting because we'll see what that actually turns out to be all right moving on Odysseus grows he's a young man now he goes to visit Autolycus I believe it's on Mar Mount Parnassus that they they hunt which is very famous for being one of the homes of the muses. Of course, the muse that Homer sings through his Calliope, the muse of epic poetry. Well, we're on the hunt, and the dogs discover the boar in the deep bush, and so they all start doing what? Barking, roughing. And Odysseus rushes in. He's very young. He's very different from him now. Is he the sort of person that rushes into every situation now, or someone who reflects beforehand? Reflects, but when he was young, he was like Achilleus. He was like Neoptolemus. He was like Telemachus. He would just run in. And so he saw a moving bush. And in that bush, he knew there was prey. But the prey was a boar. Boars are very large, and they have these nasty teeth called what? Tusks. And with those tusks, they can do what to you? 
They can gore you. If you ever watch or uh, read the books Game of Thrones, that's how one of the kings ends up dying. He actually gets gored by a tusk from a boar. Very dangerous sort of hunting. That's why it bequeaths honor to you, because when you do dangerous things, he will consider you honorable because you have risked your neck, as it were. In any case, Odysseus rushes in. He sees the boar, but before he can stab it, it slashes his knee. Nasty cut. And then he drives his spear into its head. I believe it's his head and kills it, which is great, which is great. However, he has been wounded, and that wound will stay on him forever. It's like a mark of his experience. It's like a reminder not to do what when danger is present for him. Not to rush in. In fact, we still have an expression. Do any of you know the expression about those who rush in? What sorts of people we call them in our language? We say fools rush in. Very good, very good. And what is Odysseus not now? Who was a fool when he got home and rushed in and was killed for his efforts? Agamemnon. Very good, very good. Okay, well after Odysseus stabs this thing dead, the sons of Autolycus sing incantations and tend the wound. I always think about that. That's sort of interesting. You're like, why would it be the case that when somebody sings over a wound, it might help it? I think part of the reason is that it makes your heart rate go down. Because when people sing to you, think about your mom singing to you before bed when you were young. Does it make you, does it, what is the word we use? It, it what's your emotions? It what's your mind? Calm, soothes it, yes. And so if you're, you have a big wound and you're bleeding, your heart rate is probably what? Very fast, very fast. And somebody starts singing and they're saying, it's all right, it's all right. What starts to happen to your heart rate? It slows down, and what happens to the amount of blood pumping out of your wound then? There's less, there's less, so it can keep you alive. And so that's not so dumb an idea, not so dumb an idea. All right, so, bang, back to the present. Euryclea sees the scar, drops the water basin. This is a big issue, because Penelope is just in the other room. You, anybody drops anything, what does everybody do immediately, always? They all stare, they all orient at it. This is a... Odysseus is trying to be surreptitious, secretive. He is, trying, he is trying not to draw attention to himself. Her dropping a giant water basin somewhere, is that going to draw attention? Yes, so he's got to stop this situation quickly. He needs to put a stopper in this situation. He grabs her by the throat. Not the kindest, not the least rude thing he could do. That said, he grabs her on the throat to keep her from wetting. Screaming. Because she recognizes... The, she recognizes that this is Odysseus out of nowhere. She does not necessarily immediately put together what the situation is. She might freak out in joy and, and sadness because Odysseus is finally home and be like, Oh, Odysseus, oh my goodness, you're here. But who does he not want to hear that he is home, who is in the next room at this particular moment? Penelope. So Euryclea, in her moment of joy or sadness, could ruin his plans. And so he needs to... Grab her by the throat in this particular moment. And then he lets her speak. And he seems a little rude, but he's more like he's under the gun. He's under stress right now. So everything needs to be right. And she starts to offer something to her. She says, Odysseus, I've been loyal to you this whole time. I've taken care of everything. I'll tell you who the disloyal maids are. Sometimes it takes a little longer than you might expect with an old friend or an old relative to get back to where you once were. Sometimes... When you see them after some time, you imagine that things are the way they used to be. Are things ever the way that they used to be amongst people? Not ever. 
No, things are always changing. We are always changing. And so situations are always different from what we expect them to be. Odysseus says, I will judge them myself. That said, later on, he will actually tr trust the judgment of Eurycleia once she has proved that she is still loyal to him. And she is proving that because what is it she is to do to the doors which she has done to keep the suitors from escaping the great hall? Sealed the doors, locked the doors. And she, unlike Telemachus, did her job right. Uh, experience. All right. He says, keep silent. You need to keep silent about me now, and you need to go about and do what Telemachus told you to do. That is how you can be of help to me right now. Just pretend like everything is normal. This is a, I think this is a very beautiful picture of her figuring it out. Figuring it out. Interesting. It's also, too, because it's. it seems to be part of the metaphor, the symbol of this seems to be that the more humble you are, the easier it is for you to see the what? The truth. Very good. Very good. And the more proud you are, like Suter, the less likely you are to see the what? Very good. Yes. I'm confused because if they're all in the same, wait, they're all in the same room now, or is that just the This is just the painting. Again, good. Well observed. Yes. Penelope is obviously in the next room over. Yeah, but I'm uh, sure if that meant there was just like a little bit of dividing, like a map. Right, 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 right. And so I'm glad that you all read so closely because you will often see that art does not quite get the situation perfectly right. But I think what this piece of art does get right, um, besides the fact that it has Roman columns there, is that um, Odysseus has to be very careful. And Penelope is very close. Very close not only physically, but potentially even mentally to figuring out who he is. He's got to be... He's on a tightrope. He needs to be very what? Very, very, very careful. All right, good. So Odysseus is now bathed. He's still disguised as, as Ithon. Eurycleia knows who he is. Penelope does not. She then reveals to him a very, very, very famous dream, a dream that when I give oral examinations to you next year during Dante's Paradiso, I will for sure be asking you about. And so Penelope reveals a dream to Odysseus. Well, it's actually sort of funny. Um, she says, there were 20 geese, and an eagle came down and killed the geese. And then the eagle talks to her and says that this is no dream, but rather a blessing, and that the suitors are the geese, and it breaks their necks. And the Odysseus is, and Odysseus is the eagle. It's very interesting. So not only is it a weird dream, but it's a dream that what's itself? interprets itself, interprets itself. And then so she goes to the beggar, Ithon, Odysseus, and she says, what do you think this dream means? And he sort of like chuckles to himself. He's like, uh, I think the dream is pretty straightforward. I think what it means is Odysseus is back, and he's going to kill the suitors. And then Penelope says a most famous thing to him. And this is one of the most famous images from all of epic literature. And we will see it not only here, but also in book six of the Aeneid. And I will ask you about it next year during oral examinations. There are two gates from which dreams come, she says. Dreams are inconstant things, she says. One is the gate of ivory. Ivory comes from the tusks of elephants. It, they are the keys on a keyboard, traditionally, that are which color? Black or white? White. White. And from those, and from, hmm, what am I saying exactly here? And from those, or excuse me, from that gate, 
false but beautiful dreams come. She seems to believe that this is a false but beautiful dream. And some people believe that that is what the majority of stories are that exist. I would say, though, stories that tell you false but beautiful things are lies, whereas stories that tell you ugly truths are more what we are looking for from the epics. And in fact, we will talk about that in examinations soon, soon, soon. The second gate is the gate of horn. Horn is dark black. From it come true dreams, which are sometimes ugly, sort of like how some truths are ugly, like you have cancer and will die in six months. True, but beautiful? Not very beautiful. And yet, still true, and yet still true. The philosopher you'll soon be reading, Plato, makes the claim that truth is not only good, but also beautiful. But perhaps in the long term that can be true. Like there is some truth that because people die, next generations need to exist and each people get their time. That said, for your own personal existence, is it very uh, beautiful or ugly when you realize you're going to die, sometimes in a painful fashion? Generally pretty ugly. Generally we're not super happy about that. In any case, Penelope mentions these gates. Here's a nice picture of them. I think this is very beautiful, very beautiful. You know, this beautiful looking one with the light on it? Lies come from there. It's sort of like imagining in a future in, in which only good things happen. Which human is that true of? None. None of them. Right, exactly. And then you have this dark foreboding looking one. But it's interesting too, because a question I'll ask you next year, and I'll just leave this in your heads for seminar, for the moment is, which way of looking at the future do you think is more helpful for dealing with the future? Believing that things will only ever be good or understanding that things will be difficult at some time, like Odysseus seems to understand when he leaves Odygia. Anybody have a thought on that yet? Leave it in the ground, let it grow, water it. Good. In any case, let's keep moving. Ah, yes, this is a good picture. You see Mickey and stuff there. In any case, Penelope seems to think that the truth is a lie, but the lie is actually a truth in this case, because nothing is as it what in, in the uh, Odyssey as it seems. All right, this is a picture of, many of you have asked about the contest of the bow. So uh, Penelope is now going to reveal the contest of the bow. And many of you have wondered, how is it that after a person strings this very difficult to string bow, that they shoot through the heads of 12 axes? Well, this is one of the representations, is axes having holes in the actual blade. Sometimes the actual handle that holds the blade is shown to have a hole. Sometimes there's a hole at the bottom of the handle where you would attach the axe to a war belt. But in any case, this looks like one of the ideas that people would have about where the holes would be on the axes and how you could shoot through. Yes? Yeah. Because this is, not, this is not an actual picture. Uh, this is a picture that is referencing the Odyssey. Uh, I mean, obviously, there weren't bottles like these. There obviously yeah, weren't Mac computers as well. Yeah. Um, uh, I need to find out where I actually derived this from. But, you know, maybe it's... I don't know. When I look at all of that, it's like, it's interesting because it's like the modern imagination has not only the ancient ideas in it, but also the what ones. The contemporary ones as well, yes. I think so. I think so. Because just look at their faces. How do they look seeing that arrow going through those holes? They're pretty upset about it. They're pretty upset about it. All right. Well, let's get closer to making them very upset, which is what I think we all want. So Odysseus has interpreted this dream for Penelope. It's gotten rather late. Remember that their conversation started at night, so they need to both go what? Go to sleep. And she says, well, I'll have a 
bed made up for you out here. And so he ends up actually sleeping rather close to his wife. And well, during that night, like Agamemnon, before the first battle against the Trojans after losing Achilles, he can't what? Odysseus can't what? Just like Agamemnon couldn't what? Yes? He can't sleep. And possibly you all know what that's like. When you're worried about something, stressed about something, is it easier or harder to sleep? Much harder, because you can't stop thinking about what's going to happen. Odysseus knows that he's going to have to do something extraordinary in the next day or so. He's going to have to fight against 108 men, even though Athena has guaranteed that she will be helping him and that that is a big deal. Would you still feel pretty stressed about having to fight 108 people with only a Telemachus and maybe an old woman named Eurycleia there to help you? Absolutely. The odds just are not very favorable. And so Penelope wakens from her sleep, wishes for death briefly, and then goes back to sleep. She's still pretty unwhat, happy. And then as she falls asleep, Odysseus thinks that she's recognized him because, and this is very sad, again, another very pathetic moment, she's screaming out his name in the night, Odysseus, Odysseus. And he's like, what? Why'd you call me? Why'd you call me right now? But the thing is that she must be wedding about Odysseus dreaming about him and she's crying when she hears his name and she gets up and she wishes for death my goodness my goodness this must really pull on odysseus's what his heart his heart strings very good very good and ah again the signs are mounting up of the doom of the suitors we've had a dream from penelope we've seen an eagle theoclymenus has uh has uh also seen a sign that indicates that the suitors are going to die. Amphinomus will soon see another sign of an eagle that will indicate that they will die. Uh, uh, Theoclymenus will see another sign where the suitors start to laugh insanely like people already dead. The signs are mounting up that the suitors are definitely going to what? And here's another one. The serving women hear thunder. Thunder is indication of the presence of which god? Zeus. And which, who do you think, what is it that Zeus defends above all other mortal things? The Zinnia. And who has been trespassing on the Zinnia? The suitors. The suitors. And so when they hear thunder, it's like Zeus is a coming to do what to them suitors? Kill them. To dispense justice to them. Very good. Ooh. Ooh. All right. The next day, Eumaeus and Odysseus get to conversing. And who should show up? Well, for the second, really third time, Melanthius causes some trouble for Odysseus. On the way to Ithaca, kicked him in the hip. When he got to Ithaca into the house, he's the one who whispered to Eurymachus, look at this nasty little beggar. You should go mess with him. And now he disses Odysseus again, just like Melantho. Every time she has a chance to see Odysseus, disses him. It's like you reveal your character in your every what? Every interaction that you have. It's as if you bring who you are in your entirety, which is very interesting. Very interesting. And so we have a new herdsman enter. He'll balance things out. Just as Eumaeus is a swine herd, good. Just as Melanthios is a goat herd, bad, ill-tempered, like a goat, like a stubborn goat. And goats are considered stubborn because they fight with their heads. What do we use our heads for, ideally? To think, ideally, not just to fight. And, well, Philoetius, sometimes called Felicius, is an ox herd. He is kindly. And he offers his right hand to Odysseus. He offers Zinnia to him. He offers hospitality. He welcomes Odysseus, beggar though he be, quite opposite from Melantho and Melanthios and the suitors. 
Eurymachus and Antinous in particular. And he claims, well, Zeus causes dismal sufferings for man. You know, he's very kind to him. He's, he does not blame Odysseus for his current circumstance. He, like Odysseus, has constantly claimed, understands that the gods give and take at their will. And so if somebody is un, has fallen on hard times, is that necessarily their fault? No. And so you should be what to them? Because that might be you at some point in your life. Kind to them. That's right. And so Ithon then predicts the homecoming of Odysseus. Well, another portent shows itself. Amphinomus sees an eagle, and he predicts the failure of the suitors. And so then in front of everybody in the great hall, the suitors are now all present. Telemachus is present. Melanthios is present. Eumaeus is present. Philoetius is present. Lots of people are here looking. It's like a high school cafeteria where so much happens. Telemachus invites Ithon to eat with him among the suitors. The suitors are appalled by this. Because it's as if Telemachus is drawing an equal sign between who and whom. The suitors and the beggar, which is interesting because the suitors are so upset by this because they think they are better than the beggar, but the beggar is actually who? Meaning that he's actually higher ranked than they are, so they should be appalled, but for different reasons. In any case, the third person to throw something at Odysseus does in his own great hall. And you need to know this guy. His name is Cuthesipos. Cuthesipos. He throws an ox hoof at Ithon. Lines uh, in book 20, lines 299 to 304. But he does not hit him. Odysseus ducks away. Telemachus says, it was a good thing that you didn't hit. Because had you done that, I would have run you through with a spear. Ooh, Telemachus is sounding more and more commanding, more and more. Not only is he holding a man, a beggar, above the suitors, insulting them grievously, but he's actually literally threatening the life of one, saying that if he does not honor the Zinnia in Telemachus' presence, Telemachus will execute him in a just way. Sounding very kingly, too, I might say. Well, Eurymachus tries to lighten the situation, continues to make fun of uh, Telemachus trying to denigrate him, put him back in his place. But Telemachus will not be put in his place by Eurymachus. In fact, Eurymachus will be put in his place, well, not by Telemachus, but by Odysseus, very, very soon. So, let's hear about this model of the bow. And this is a good image uh, of a bow and what it looks like when it is pulled, or excuse me, how it is sitting stationarily in a stationary fashion and what it looks like when it's pulled, when it's pulled. Something uh, that we know about bows, perhaps you could help us with this, is they're very pliant. You can bend them, but you can't bend them too much because if you could bend them too much, then what would happen to your shots whenever you shot them? They'd be very strong or weak. Weak, so there has to be, like in human character, a balance between strength and what ability? Pliability or flexibility, that's right. That's right. Too stiff, no flexibility, weak shot. Too flexible, no strength, weak shot. There needs to be balance between the two. So, book 21. Penelope introduces the contest of the bow. This is the contest. Odysseus had received from a guest friend who gave him a wonderful... He had received from a wonderful friend of his... He was once the guest of a man. I think it was Iphicles. I forget the exact name. He received a bow from him. But before he could ever give hospitality to him, Heracles came around and killed that man. I think it was Heracles. 
that killed him. He was killed, sadly. And so Odysseus, remembering his friend forever, has kept this bow, but did not take it to Troy. Well, why didn't he take it to Troy? Well, if he dies in Troy, what happens to the bow? It gets taken away, right? And so he cared so much about his friend and remembering his friend that he left his bow in Ithaca. One thing we know about Odysseus is that he's very strong. Not as strong as Achilleus, not as strong as Aias the Greater, of course, but compared to these suitors, he's super strong. And so Penelope says, this is what the contest to win me will be. You must be as strong as Odysseus. So you must be able to string the bow, which Odysseus could do easily. One thing we'll see the suitors not be able to do or even come close to doing is doing what? Stringing the bow. Well, then she says, you also have to be able to take aim in the same way that he can. To not only aim at a goal, but to pursue and accomplish it. Twelve axes will be buried in the ground. And through their heads, there will be small holes. And through twelve of those holes, you must shoot an arrow. It must be a perfect shot. So you must not only be as strong as Odysseus, but aim as true as Odysseus. Again, you need those two aspects. The suitors will have both one or none of those. Because they will never get what they want because of their weakness and their lack of integrity. Good luck, she says. <laughs> ah, yes. Ah, yes, ah, yes, ah, yes. So she presents the bow to them. The first person who gets a chance at using the bow is Telemachus. And now, he will obviously not win his mother as wife if he strings the bow and then shoots the arrows through. What he will get, however, is the suitors will have to leave. He tries to string the bow once. Uh, fails. Twice. Uh, fails. Third time. Uh, fails. And on the fourth time, he would have strung it, showing that he is almost as what as his father at this point. Strong. He is much stronger than the suitors. This is quite the display of strength. But he looks at Odysseus, and Odysseus gives him a look like, like it's as if he was shaking his head or like, it's not the right time. It's not the right time. It's not for you to do this. You are not yet the what? The king. That's right. And so Telemachus fails, even though he could have succeeded. And then we have our first suitor attempt to try. His name is Leodes. And he fails miserably. I think it actually says that he ruins his hands while trying to do that, which makes me laugh. Well, Antinous, that's no problem. This bow is hard to string. We'll just cheat. And so let's rub the bow with fat and heat it so that it becomes more wouldn't, the word that I used earlier, pliant or flexible. Even after they do that, they're still too what to string the bow? Weak. Wow. Wow. And so during this time, Odysseus isn't really worried about them stringing the boat. He goes to talk in conference with Eumaeus and Philoetius, and finally he rewards them for their loyalty. He shows them his scar. He tells them who they are, who he is. They are willing to help. So now his army grows. He now has the boyish Telemachus, who is becoming a man. Eumaeus, the swineherd and Philoetius, the oxherd, and also Eurycleia on his side. He has four whole people against all the suitors. His odds have greatly improved. His odds have greatly improved. And so, that's where I want to end today. Tomorrow we will, or rather, uh, the next day that we lecture, we will talk about the reigning death that Odysseus will level on the suitors.